Today's scripture is from Galatians 2, 17 through 21. Would you please stand as we read from God's word. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I have tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, it's good to be with you. It's good to be back in the book of Galatians. Uh, I have to tell you, I am loving this series, and uh, I've been hearing such encouraging things. When we started the series, I asked you to be praying that God might do a work of renewal in our midst, and here we are about five, six weeks into the series, and the number of emails and calls and encouragements I've received from you guys about what God is doing in your life, that for some of you, there's Uh, a spark of hope has been lit where you felt really kind of dull and numb spiritually. For others of you, you've gotten a a renewed conviction of sin in your life. For others, there's uh, a new spark of courage for you, that you have a new sense of hope and courage for the future. But I've also heard that for some of you that this series has stirred some confusion. Um, I've heard a lot of questions, but they're all kind of the same question, just packaged a little differently. And the essence of the question is basically this. Someone will come to me and they'll say, Pastor, I'm confused. Because one week I come to church and you get up there and you proclaim loudly and forcefully that it's not about what you do or what you've done, that your standing with God is based solely upon the grace of Jesus Christ. And I feel so warm and encouraged after those sermons. It's like, ah, I'm safe. And then the next week I come to church and you get up there and you say like, To follow Jesus, you have to be a servant of all. You have to wash people's feet. You have to give your life away. You have to give everything away. And I'm confused. Which one is it? Like, what is Christianity? Is it about grace? Is it about works? It's kind of confusing. How do those two things relate? And I'll tell you, it is kind of confusing. What the Bible teaches about grace and works and how they relate to one another, it's very nuanced. And we are not a people or a culture that I would say is really good with nuance. Like we, we want to just say, well, which one is it? Left or right? You know, grace or works? The Bible teaches is nuanced. And you have to understand the nuance. It's absolutely critical if you want to live into the freedom that Jesus has purchased for you and for us. Unfortunately, we try to avoid the nuance of what the Bible teaches by going to one of two extremes, one of two heirs. The church father Tertullian once said that just as Christ was crucified between two thieves, so the doctrine of justification by faith alone is ever crucified between two opposite heirs, two thieves. Two ways that we disregard the nuance of what the Bible teaches. The first thief we talked about last week in depth, which is the thief of legalism. Legalism seeks to resolve the the nuance and the complexity of grace and works by basically saying, no, 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 it's about works. 
Like I obey God and then God loves me. And as long as I keep obeying God, God keeps loving me. If I don't obey God or I stop obeying him, then his love for me wanes. Legalism says that God's opinion of me is contingent upon how well I obey. And I spent 40 minutes last week dismantling that line of thinking, showing you, more importantly, how Paul dismantles that line of thinking. Verse 15 is probably the clearest when Paul writes, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Like that verse, (laughs) it's so repetitive. It's almost awkward to read it because Paul wants to be so abundantly clear. We are justified by faith, not by works of the law. Legalism misunderstands the gospel. The second thief, though, you know, which is in some ways it feels like the opposite of legalism, is what we could call license to sin or license for short. And the argument of the the person in that camp, the the way they argue would go something like this, because God's love for us is not dependent upon our obedience to him, then our obedience doesn't really matter. Like if God loves us through and through because of the finished work of Christ, then we can do whatever we want. And because Paul was preaching so forcefully against legalism, he's preaching so forcefully the gospel of grace, to the churches in Galatia, people came in and they said, whoa, 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 Paul, you can't go around teaching that. You're giving people a license to sin. Even worse, you're making it seems like Jesus condones sin. This is verse 17, the accusation that was being made against Paul that he answers here. He says, if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? And he responds, no way, certainly not, absolutely not. Jesus died to save us from sin. Unfortunately, though, not all Christians share Paul's conviction in regard to this license to sin approach. In high school, shortly after I became a believer, a whole bunch of my friends became believers at the same time, and we were constantly working out the implications of what it means to follow Jesus. And one day we were at lunch, And during lunch, we realized that we'd all forgotten to do an assignment for math class, all of us except for my friend Jenny. And Jenny, either depending which side you're on, graciously or sinfully offered to let us copy her homework uh, so we wouldn't show up to class empty-handed. And when she made that offer, an ethical debate ensued at the lunch table over the tater tots of, do we... Do we copy it? Do we not? We went back and forth. And finally, one of my friends just spoke up and he said, just copy it. We all know Jesus will forgive us. And we know that our math teacher won't. So (laughs) just do it. He'll forgive us. Like he died for our sins. Now that's, that's an example of the license to sin mentality, which says, you know what? Just do whatever you want to do. Watch whatever you want to watch. Say whatever you want to say. Treat people however you want to treat people. Eat whatever you want to eat. Drink whatever you want to drink. It doesn't matter. Do whatever you want. Now, the gospel opposes both the legalism and the license. And and what I want you to see this morning is that these two approaches to God, they're more than just theological 
or doctrinal positions. And what I mean is this. Very few people in Paul's day, very few people in our day would come out and say, you know what, I believe that I am saved by Jesus's grace and my good works. And there are very few people that would come out and say, I really do think I can just do whatever I want. Most people don't go to those extremes. Legalism and license, they're more subtle than that. They're not so much theological positions, usually, as they are postures of the heart. They're kind of how we're wired, ways that we lean. And I would argue that all of us have a tendency to lean towards one of the extremes or the other. And so as we dive into Galatians, I want to first give a diagnostic for you. And when I say a diagnostic for you, I mean a diagnostic for you, not your spouse, not your friends, not the person in the community group you argue with constantly, a diagnostic for you. Diagnostic, if you're lean towards legalism, that probably means that some of these things are true about you. Legalists are usually pretty rigid people. They're pretty dogmatic. They're willing to throw the stake in the ground about almost anything. They like to win arguments. They're often uncharitable. Legalists oftentimes feel a, a sense of jealousy when they see good things happen for other people. Legalists can be really self-obsessive, like constantly looking and asking, how am I doing? Always wondering. Legalists or people with legalistic tendencies, they tend to view God as either stern or angry or disappointed. People who tend towards the license side of things, they view God as either distant or carefree. Or maybe he's like the uncle who pulls the coin from behind your ear. Like he, he's just all happiness, but there's no uh, severity to his goodness. You might be lean towards this license side if you don't really feel conviction of sin very often. I would argue you lean towards the license side of things if you can't remember the last time that you repented of sin. You lean towards this side when you have sin in your life that you continue to dabble with, that you, you don't seek to put to death, but you kind of nurture it. I just want to ask you, which one of these two do you lean towards? Because we all lean towards some. Maybe some of you are like me. I, I wrote this out and I'm like, gosh, I think I'd lean towards both of them. I don't know how I do that, but I, I feel like I pinball back and forth at times. Whichever side you lean, my hope and my prayer for you this morning is that you will have a fresh awakening to the gospel because neither legalism nor license leads to freedom. They're both thieves that are bent on stealing our freedom. Legalism steals our freedom by enslaving us to endless lists of rules and regulations, to oppressive religion. But living with a license to sin, that also steals our freedom as well. We've said numerous times in the series that freedom is not doing whatever you want. Instead, freedom is living as you were created to live. Freedom is living as God created you to live. And sin, feeling like you have the freedom to go do whatever you want, sin however you want, sin runs counter to how God created you. And sin, at its very essence, is slavery. Jesus Christ himself said, whoever sins is a slave to sin. And that the belief that I can just keep on sinning and there's, there's no big deal with that, that's like saying, go ahead and put the shackles on me. 
Because sin, it wears ruts in our souls. Sin oftentimes manifests itself in patterns, habits, and addictions that are destructive to others and ultimately to ourselves. Sin doesn't lead to freedom. And feeling like I have a license to sin doesn't lead to freedom. The only thing that leads to freedom is the gospel. And here in Galatians 2, Paul, he helps us see the nuance of what the gospel is. And we can draw out, just by looking and observing what he does, three strategies to help guard ourselves against both this danger of legalism and license. Three strategies to walk in the true freedom of the gospel. The first strategy that Paul gives us, number one, we have to respect the limits of the law. If we're going to live in freedom, we're not going to err on the side of legalism or license. We have to respect the limits of the law. And what I mean is God's law, it has power to reveal our sinful condition, but it does not have the power to improve it. The law of God, it has the power to reveal our sin. It does not have the power to heal us of our sin. And where we see this in the text is when, in verse 19, when Paul says, for through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. Now, let's, let's read that again. Let me expand it just a little bit. Paul says, for through the law of God, I died to the law of God that I might live to God. It's kind of a confusing verse. It's interesting. You would think Paul might say something like, through the gospel, I died to the law. But he says, through the law, I died to the law. What's going on here? Well, the answer, our experience, if you've, if you've ever really tried to obey God's law, I think you'll understand what Paul's saying here. If you ever try to really follow God's commands, let's just say the Ten Commandments. First commandment, God says, have no other gods before me. I need to be number one in your life. So you try hard at that. Second commandment, don't have any idols, okay? Third commandment, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Fourth commandment, observe the Sabbath. That means completely shut it down one day out of seven. Then you get to the fifth commandment. This is where they start to get really hard, like honor your father and mother. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness or lie. Don't commit adultery, not even in your heart. Like, don't look lustfully on another human being. Don't commit murder, not even in your heart. Don't curse people. Don't have angry thoughts towards people. Last one, don't covet. Don't spend your life wishing you had things that other people had. HGTV, anyone? Anyone else there? Like if you take the law seriously, the law will crush you. If you take the law seriously, it will absolutely crush you. And that's what Paul's saying. Through the law, I died to the law. The law killed me. Now, that doesn't mean that the law of God is a bad thing. The law of God reveals God's will for us. And I think we could all agree that if everyone obeyed the Ten Commandments perfectly, our world would be a much different and a much better place. Cable news channels would cease to exist because they could only highlight all of the awesomeness happening in the world. No one would want to watch that. Like the law is a good thing. It's just a limited thing. It can reveal our sin, can't heal us of our sin. And the reason Jesus died was to set us free from our sin, yes, but also to set us free from the condemning power of the law. 
Jesus died to make it really clear, obeying the law is never going to get you right with me. So I died for you. Now, what Paul's saying is for us who have trusted in Christ to go back to the law as a means of either earning a right standing with God or maintaining a right standing with God, he says it's foolishness. This is what he's getting at in verse 18, which is kind of confusing again, where he says, if I rebuild what I tore down, what he tore down was the law as a means of being made right with God. If I rebuild that, if I go back to that and say, actually, I know I said you were saved by grace, but really you're saved by being also a very moral, good person. If I rebuild what I tore down, all it's going to do is just prove how much of a sinner I am. It's going to prove how much of a transgressor I am. Paul is saying the law will not get you there. Now, as a pastor, I see so many Christians who live with a constant, steady, low-grade guilt in their life. A sense that they're a disappointment to God, that they're not very good at the Christian life. There's not much joy in their life. There's not much hope. There's not much peace. There's not much of the fruit of the Spirit. And I think the reason why is because instead of embracing that the law is very limited, yes, it's good because it reveals our sin, but it's supposed to lead us to Jesus, they kind of come back to the law and circle around with it. And in doing so, they just constantly feel like I don't measure up and I can never measure up. You got to respect the limits of the law. The law was never given as a means to save you. It was given to reveal you need to be saved, but only Jesus is going to save you. We avoid legalism by respecting the limits of the law. But then I know there are probably some of you who are like, well, then how does that not lead us to license? If the law is no longer the controlling force in our lives, won't people just go and do whatever they want? And I'll tell you, like in ministry, I've been in ministry for 20 years now, basically, and 20 years in ministry, like that's, that's one of the constant fears is if we actually tell people about the grace of God, then people are going to just go do whatever they want. I see this again and again. Like one of the, the most common ways I see this in the church is in the way we talk about tithing. The, the concept that Christians are required by law to give, you know, God's law to give 10% of their income to the local church. Now, I love it when people tithe. Like, I'm, I'm a huge fan of it as a pastor, but it's not a law that we live under. It's often taught like a law out of fear because if, if we don't teach that people have to do it, why would they ever do it? And so what we do is we create this law and then some people meet it and they feel very good about their spirituality. Other people, though, they're like, well, they don't meet it, they feel horrible. And then there are other people we're like, well, it's better that we're teaching it a law than not because if we don't teach this, no one's ever going to give to the church. Like if, if we don't give laws, what's going to keep people from just doing whatever they want? And I think that question, while it's well-intentioned, I think it reveals a very deficient understanding of the nature and essence of our salvation. When someone says you're saved by grace, you can do whatever you want. I think that reveals a very deficient understanding of what it means to be a Christian. 
And that deficient understanding comes because for so many of us, the gospel, it was basically presented as a means by which you, you got to go to heaven when you die. Like the essence of Christianity, the essence of salvation is that when you die, you can be promised and sure that you're going to heaven. That's what we think the gospel is. And while, while the assurance of salvation, the assurance of heaven is a part of our salvation, that's like, it's not, it's not the main course. It's not the meal. It's like asking someone if they want to go to Ruth's Chris and telling them, it's so incredible. You get to eat mashed potatoes there. Now, mashed potatoes are great. I love mashed potatoes, but it's not the essence of the meal. And the essence of Christianity is not that when we die, we get to go to heaven. The essence of Christianity is that through the death of Christ, we get to know God here, now, and for eternity. It's not about going to some distant land where we get to spend all of our time with all of our dead relatives and dead friends and everything else, and everyone has this great reunion. I think that'll be a part of it, and I think that will be wonderful. But what makes heaven heaven is God is there. And what Paul says here is we don't have to wait until we die to know God, to experience God, that we can know him here and now. Galatians 2.20, I have been, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. See, Paul, he's hitting here on one of the central yet most overlooked themes of the New Testament, which is the doctrine of our union with Christ. That when you become a Christian, you become united with Christ. You become united with him in his death, legally united with him in his death, which means that in the sight of God, when Christ died for our sins, all of our old sinful selves died with him. The penalty for sin was absorbed, the debt was paid, and now we are righteous in God's sight in Christ. Paul writes in Colossians 3.3, one of my favorite, most freeing verses in the Bible, where he says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We're united with Christ in his death, but we're also united with Christ in life. This is why Paul continues, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What the Bible teaches is that when you trust in Christ, Jesus gives you his spirit. He pours his spirit into your life here and now. And his spirit brings conviction of sin, comfort, guidance, direction. But his spirit is at work in our lives so that we might know God today and we might be as vitally connected to him as a branch is to a vine. This change, it's so radical. This union we have with Christ, it's so radical that Paul says, the life I now live in the flesh, in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Paul's answer to legalism is basically like, it doesn't work. It's never gonna get you there. His answer to license is, it doesn't make sense. I can go do whatever I want, well, what I want is to honor Christ. So of course I'm going to go do whatever. Like, that's what I'm going to do. See, Christianity, it's not a religion of magic words or spells where if you can just utter the right few syllables together in the right order, you can be guaranteed that you're going to spend an eternity with God. That is not the essence of Christianity. The essence of Christianity is knowing God 
and living in vital connection to him. And to go on willfully and deliberately sinning, it just doesn't make sense. Now, I want to be clear. We all sin. We all continue to sin even after our salvation. But to say it doesn't matter, to say that your heart, your desires, your affections haven't been changed by Jesus, I think that causes us and that should cause us to to come to a place of real self-examination. Because the hope of our union with Christ is that you can change. The addiction in your life doesn't have to stay there. I mean, so much. I, I want to shake you all and say, you can change. And I hope this series stirs in you the belief that you can change. That yes, you might have spent 10 years, 15 years, 20 years building certain patterns and addictions in your life, and it might be hard work to change, but you can change in the here and now. The way you are right now isn't how you always, the way you live right now isn't how you always have to live. You've got the Spirit of God in you. That's part of your salvation. It's a gift. Respect the limits of the law. Two, recognize the depth of your salvation. And three, lastly, to avoid these errors, we have to regularly renew ourselves in the love of God. On the surface, legalism and license, they seem like opposites, right? Like the legalist is obsessed with rules. The licensed sin person doesn't care about rules. The legalist is very rigid and moral and dogmatic. The licensed person is probably easier to get along with, but uh, they're, you know, carefree, but they're, probably, they're also reckless and foolish, and they make a lot of dumb decisions. They seem like opposites. They seem like they couldn't be further from one another. But Sinclair Ferguson, in his book, The Whole Christ, which is a tremendous little book, he says that while these two appear as opposites, legalism and license are, in fact, non-identical twins that are born of the same womb. What he means is that while they seem like two extremes, they actually share the same root. And what's that root? It's a misunderstanding of the character and nature of God. The origin of both legalism and license can be traced back to the Garden of Eden and the lie of Satan. If you remember in Genesis 1 and 2, God created Adam and Eve. He put them in a beautiful garden filled with sights and wonders to behold, filled with countless different trees that they could feast from. And God told them, I want you to cultivate this garden. I want you to fill the earth and I want you to subdue it. Which was God basically saying to Adam and Eve, here, I've created all of this for you. Go play. And right as they're about to go play, he said, but wait, I do have one rule. There's one tree out of all the trees. There's only one tree that I don't want you to eat from. There was one no in a world filled with yes. And he said, now go, go have fun. And then the serpent came into the garden. And you remember what the serpent, the first thing the serpent said to Eve? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Serpent was the first legalist in history. Distorted the image of God. God didn't say you can't eat from any tree. He said you just can't eat from one of the like thousands, millions of trees. See what Satan was doing there. He was saying to Eve, 
that God's not really for you. He's not committed to your good, your happiness, or your joy. You cannot trust him. God, I know he said, if you eat from this tree, you'll surely die. You're not going to die. You remember what he said? You're going to become like him. And he doesn't want that. See, the lie that crept into the bloodstream of humanity at the fall is that God wants to suffocate us with rules and regulations. And if we obey him, we miss out on life. And that leads to misery. And the real irony is it was out of this distorted legalistic understanding of the character of God that Eve took a license to sin. She understood as God is harsh, cruel, and restrictive. And she said, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna do whatever I want. And if we're gonna be a people who avoid the errors of legalism and license, we don't just have to rethink God's commands. We have to be renewed in his love. Because both legalism and license see God as a cosmic policeman who gives laws and rules in order to stifle our happiness and steal our joy. The only difference is the legalist says, okay, God gave us all these rules. I'm going to do my best to obey them so that he will love me. And on the other extreme, the licensed person says, you know what? If God really loved me, he wouldn't give me rules or the rules just don't apply to me. Neither one. Neither one sees that, no, God is good. He's for us, and he's given us his commands, not because he wants to deprive us of joy, but because he wants to magnify our joy. That God gives us commands because he knows the paths that lead to life. God, he's not a cruel, demanding deity who wants to grind us into the dust. He's a God who loved us so much that he sent his son to be ground into the dust for us. This is why Paul, here, one of my favorite verses in the scriptures, verse 20, Paul says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God is so committed to our good that he sent his Son to die for us. And as we read earlier, God, in in sending Jesus He proved his love. He, as Paul says, he demonstrated. Do you want to know how much I love you? How much I'm committed to you? I will send my one and only son to die for you. You can trust me, not just to die for the world, to die for you. As Paul says. If you want to live a life of grace-fueled obedience, you have to be able to say with Paul, the life I live in the body and, and believe it, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Not for the world, for me. Charles Spurgeon, he put it better than I I ever could. He said, when I thought God was hard, I found it easy to sin. But when I found God so kind, so good, so overflowing with compassion... I beat my chest to think I could have ever rebelled against one who loved me so and sought my good. If we're going to be a church that lives free and lives in power and actually sees progress in our lives and sees 
hopefully fruit in the world, it's critical for us to see that the gospel is not like a narrow middle way between legalism and license. Instead, it's something completely altogether different. What I mean is the Christian faith, it's not like take a little license, like you have some freedom and a little legalism, you do have some laws and put them in a blender. Like that just leads to misery on all accounts. The gospel is God loves you so much. He sent his son. He's so committed to your good that he's actually told you and shown you the paths that lead to life. He's not a lawgiver. He's a loving father. And as a loving father, he's saying, I'm so committed to you. It doesn't matter what you do because you're my son. I'm always going to love you. My love's unconditional. But here are my commands. And I'm giving you these commands because I want you to flourish. I want you to grow up. I don't want you to do stupid all the time. I want you to experience freedom. This mindset is best encapsulated by David in Psalm 16 when he writes, this understanding of God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. As we come to the Lord's table, we are reminded of our union with Christ, reminded of the night of his betrayal, how his body was broken and his blood was shed. And through that act, he united us to God. Now, when we come and take part, we celebrate our union with Christ. That's why it's called communion. And we come to the table, we remember one, that our sins are not held against us and two, that the spirit of God lives inside of us. And so I know we've got people all over the map, some of you. You hear you can change and you don't really believe that. I pray for you as you come to the table and you take part in the broken body and shed blood of Christ, that you be reminded that God is so committed to you that he sent his son and he, he's committed by the power of his spirit to bring change in your life. Others of you, you're just really discouraged. You feel like you're not living up to standard. I pray that as you come to the table, you'd be reminded of the gospel. And still others of you, you've never trusted in Christ. Others of you, you've spent your entire life thinking Christianity was about observing the rules. And I pray that when you come front and center to the broken body and blood of Jesus, you might see that the essence of Christianity is knowing the God who gave everything for you. Let me pray.